So hi everyone, um, my name is Rebecca Nava and I'm here recording Lele Mbinda. I met Lele Mbinda uh, just a few weeks ago when I went on the township tour of Langa, just outside Cape Town. And it's one of the several townships outside Cape Town. And Lele uh, currently runs a non-for-profit called Ituba in partnership with Chapman University in the United States. So welcome to the show, Lele. Thank you so much. <laughs> so happy you could be here, even though we know it's six hours ahead where you are. Um, so Lele, maybe the best way to start is if you could tell listeners about Langa, um, about Langa. Okay, yeah, so Langa Township is a, um, Township just outside uh, Cape Town. It's between the airport and the city, mm. with a population of 100,000 people. Mm. So in South Africa, we have class society mm. where we are divided according to that system, where you have the upper class, the middle class, and the lower class. So Langa Township falls um, on the lower class. And the lower class is just um, below 70% of the population of South Africa. Mm. So it's one of those poverty-stricken community, communities, uh, but with so much culture, traditions, and vibrancy. That's so, that's beautiful. And you mentioned there's uh, during our tour you talked about eleven official languages. Yes. Here in Canada, we just have two, and that's. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so we have uh, so we have about uh, eleven official languages because of the diversity um, in South Africa, where we have many tribes, mm. and these languages are spoken in though they are official. Is spoken in regions. Mm. In Cape Town, we speak about four of the languages. Wow. But if you go to the east, it's different languages and also in the north. So here in Langa Township, we speak a language called Tosa. Yes, which is a very interesting <laughs> language because of the clicking sounds um, that you make when you, when you speak. Yes. I visited one of the cultural centers of the sand people and they taught us about five different clicks and I can only do like, and is this the right one for Kosa or is it a different one? Um, that's, that's a second click in Kosa and uh, all the alphabetical order. That is, you've just said a letter Q for question. Uh, <laughs> okay. For, for Kosa, uh, for Kosa it's a letter X. It sounds like a wall clock when it's ticking. No, actually, it sounds like when you're calling a horse. Ah. Yeah, perfect. Kosa. Kosa, yes. Kosa. Cool. Um, I have a long way to go with my Kosa, but <laughs> but <laughs> So, um, one of the things that, first of all, we had this incredible township tour I did another, another township tour later in my trip, but I felt like 
the, the tour that we had was one-on-one, -on -one, uh, felt very personal. We talked a lot about gender and we talked about sexuality and that's why I wanted to have you on the show. Um, so one of the things we talked about was HIV and I read uh, the World Health Organization estimates that HIV prevalence rates for adults in South Africa is about 19%. So, um, however, uh, there has been a decline in the HIV infection since 2010 and a reduction in the amount of AIDS-related deaths since 2010. So uh, AIDS-related deaths have reduced by about a third and there's been about 15% less HIV infection. So um, maybe could you speak about um, perhaps how people in Langa feel about sex and taboos or how culture plays into it? Uh, yes, so in, in Langa, it's still very difficult uh, for people to speak openly about sex. That even myself, when I say the word, I, it's something that runs inside myself mm -hmm. uh, because we are not comfortable on talking about the subject. Mm -hmm. Though we are forcing ourselves, especially within the township that we have um, a class that is educated, which is starting to talk about it. And there's a cultural barrier that blocks it from, from adults speaking to children or teachers at school or parents at home. Mm. So it's still a taboo to a, uh, to a point that as much as uh, we are addressing the challenges of HIV and AIDS, it is still spreading because we don't talk about it mm. at all. And people don't disclose, because if it's disclosed, it is stigmatized. So it becomes um, a very serious situation. Uh, though that the stats are proving um, that the government is doing something right, yes, the government is doing something right in the regard that there is almost zero infections between mother to child transmission. Because if, uh, if someone is pregnant, then it becomes they are forced to test to take the test, and then if they are HIV positive, then they take medication so that they do not uh, transmit the virus into a child when the child is born. And throughout the breastfeeding process, then the mother won't be able to breastfeed, but instead will get a formula from government mm. so that they can be able to at least give the child. The nutrients that are similar to the breastfeeding. And is the um, the testing mandatory, and is it provided for free? Yes, the testing it's free, uh, but it's voluntary. So people choose to do it or not. But most people tend to choose to do it when they are very sick, and it's already the city four count is already so high to a point that um, it's almost fully blown. Mm. So then there may still be, for those people who are not getting it done, there may still be some mother-to-child transmission happening. Almost, it's almost impossible because um, once you're pregnant, you have to go for checkups. Okay. So, right. Yes, so it's, it's mandatory during the checkups okay. where they test you. Okay. Yes. Got it, got it. Mm. 
Now you mentioned that there is a younger, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a certain group of people who are, who have had some sex education who do want to talk about it. And is this the younger generation? Um, yes, it's, actually, it's a younger generation, mostly the, the younger parents who are educated. They are trying to break away from the cultural barrier and talk about it. But we, but in townships, since it's a poverty-stricken community, most people are still trapped within that uh, cultural bar uh, barrier where they feel like it's a taboo. They feel like if you talk about sex, you're actually telling the children to do it while they're doing it anyway. So then we have those challenges. Okay. So the fear is that if they talk about it, then the kids will be more likely to do it. Yes. Is there any other fear related to talking about sex? And the other, the other one would be the, the stigma. Mm -hmm. Again, with lack of education and poverty, if someone is HIV positive and they disclose their status, some people will even fear to touch their hand. Yeah. Uh, yes, so disclosing, um, yes, you, you just would not. Yeah, so because it, would be out. it makes it very difficult. Exactly. I guess my question is what role does Christianity play or any other religions play in how sex is viewed? Okay, yes, when it comes to Christianity, it's just one rule, they, they talk about. Uh, abstinence. Yeah. So they have no uh, sexual education mm -hmm. beyond abstinence because they would quote the Bible that uh, no sex before marriage. Right. Yeah. So which again uh, traps people within that religious spectrum. So then does that make it difficult for young people who are sexually active to talk to their parents or other adults about it? Yes, it becomes difficult because and they would never talk about it to their parents. Right. And again, we still um, we still have corporal punishment. Where people are where children are being spent. Mm -hmm. And if you would talk about such subjects to your parents, you wouldn't even know how to begin because it's something they've never talked about themselves. Mm. Um, or even hinted you about it. In many cases in school, they don't do about it because once they think um, once they think about sex, they instead of educating children, they install fear. They tell you that if you sleep with boys, you'll be pregnant. Mm. So that's the they, they install fear. They don't they talk about the don'ts. They don't tell the children about the do's, and they try. They don't even say the names. It's it's so difficult to a point that a child does not see need to talk to a parent. And if a child speaks um, about the subject to a parent, chances are that child will be grounded, um, spent, or viewed as someone who's ill-disciplined beyond reasonable measure. Wow. So even. So one, so one thing I'll say as a, as a sexual health educator, one thing that we talk about is that something parents can do from a very young age, uh, not all parents do this, obviously, is just to teach their kids 
the proper names for their body parts. So do people, do parents in the, in the township use, say like, this is your penis, this is your vulva or your vagina, or do they have other words for them? Um, yes, actually, that's very interesting because I have never really thought of it. So in townships, people even, not only in townships, but in culturally, in, in uh, what, what we do, we have nicknames. Yeah. Which, which um, we have nicknames, which sounds so nice and it sounds um, rather childish basically, and they, they sound to accommodate the children and everyone across different generations mm -hmm. to be able to say these particular names. So it's just on that. Beyond that, we don't mention anything else. Wow. So we have, we just have nicknames. It, 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 it happens in Canada too. So people will say like your wee wee or your special place. Exactly. And the the issue then becomes is that if the the child already learns like it's not okay to talk about their body or to identify the scientific name the the issue then becomes is that if the the child already learns like it's not okay to talk about their body or to identify the scientific name for their body during our our tour we talked about how there's more than one generation often living in the home in Lagos. Yes. So you may have average of one, four kids in one. It's, it's very common in most households that you have, uh, uh, that you have many um, children and parents and all in the same roof. With so many people living in the same place, I wonder if kids are seeing their parents have sex or hearing their parents have sex. And if that's making, you know, if that makes them have questions about sex, but then they can't ask their parents about it because it's taboo. Um, yeah, what happens is, especially on weekends, when people are, are drinking and drunk, mm -hmm. so it is common for children to hear and see. Mm. And even myself growing up in a township, I saw it at a very early age Yeah. because of, of that. So it's common, especially if you will see, if you're coming from the lower class, where people live in single rooms, a single room is a house, as a, a single room as a house, um, a shanty, or else a migrant hostel. Mm. So where people share, uh, where multiple families share a room. So it is very common that a child will be exposed to sexual to sex while they still uh, while they still very young and get to understand it. And and worst of it the children get to do it, though they wouldn't do it properly at that young age, uh, but they would still um, envision what their parents were doing, the elder, I mean, the elders were doing, and try to copy that. Though they don't take their panties, they still do it in that sense. So they grow up knowing that is something, and at some point, when they're becoming teenagers, the sooner they get the knowledge, they start to do it. It's all happening, but it's not being talked about. That's what that's what um, a cultural barrier tradition is all about, right? So um, tra tradition, we when you practice tradition, especially when it comes to uh, culture, you tend to copy 
and do things and settle as what your parents did, your grandparents, and so on. So you pass everything from generation to generation. That if you try to change and do things in a modern way, it's either you'll be viewed as um, derailing uh, from the cultural discipline, or else, um, or, or else uh, you'll be viewed. I'm trying to find a, a proper word for this because it's a serious challenge. Mm. It sounds challenging, and I, I was one thing I was trying to get at before is that before there was Christianity in South Africa, there were these other native religions or spiritual yes. beliefs. And I'm wondering how, if you, if you can speak to how is sex, how was sex viewed in some of those uh, spaces? So my question is, um, spiritual beliefs before Christianity, do they still run through the township? Are they still there? And if so, do they have an impact on how people view sex? Yes, uh, it has an impact. Because of spiritual beliefs um, uh, that we practice even on this day. So we haven't really changed our approach um, that was used before Christianity arrived in South Africa. So we're still continuing in that route too. That is why even on this day, though times have changed, we haven't really changed how we approach um, sex as a subject. Mm -hmm. So we still use the same principles uh, that were used by our ancestors mm -hmm. uh, back then uh, to a point that that is a fundamental reason we don't talk about um, sex on this day because during the past if there was any sexual intercourse between children even if that child was not um, even that child was, was, did not get pregnant, what they would do back then, they would ask it would be uh, 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 something regrettable uh, in terms of the family and the family of the boy would be forced to pay a damage fee in cows mm. to the family of the girl. Okay. So it was something um, closer to treason. So we did not uh, do sex before marriage back then. Mm. So, but as time changed, we used the same approach, which is proving that it's not working, but we have never replaced it with um, with what um, Western cultures has brought to us. I'm going to read a, a quick, just because we're on the topic of teen, teen pregnancy. So this is a, a quote from the Western Cape government's website. Teenage pregnancies remain a serious health and social problem in South Africa. Uh, it poses a health risk to mother and child and has social consequences such as early school dropout by the pregnant teenager. BBC in November 2018 reported that 182,000 
South African teenagers became pregnant each year, and many are still in school. And they spoke about Limpopo, specifically that there are uh, 16,000 children were born to teenagers in the province's state-owned hospital. From that group, obviously Limpopo is a different place, so uh, they mentioned 378 of these kids were born to uh, 10 to 14-year-olds, and then the remaining uh, 16,000 were 15 to 19. So I know Limpopo is much further north than, uh, than Langa, but is teen, can you talk about teen pregnancy in the township? Yeah, so when it comes to teen pregnancy, um, the reason we have it, it's simply because of the lack of communication between parents and children, hand in hand. So when, when children uh, grow up, they grow up at home and they, they don't talk to their parents. Instead, we have this very strange relationship with parents where it's an order and obey relationship instead of being a um, two-sided communication line. So which leads to so many social challenges that you have just mentioned, including teenage pregnancy. So what happens is when children from children from 6 to 12 years of age they, uh, in townships, they spend so much in the street playing outside. Um, they are being very social and just being children in a very innocent way, which is good. Then when they become 30, from 12 to 13 years of age to 14 years of age, then they start to change. Uh, because they start hormones, then they develop the adult bodies, then they uh, they even start their periodic cycles. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so when they start those, especially their periods, um, it becomes another situation which is it is not addressed in third countries, uh, especially townships where when we talk about poverty, we include so many things. We talk about crime. Uh, sicknesses, and uh, we talk about hunger and so on, and lack of education. But we never talk about the challenges of the young girls, especially when it comes to sanitary towels when they start their periods. And to top it all, at home, no one teaches them about the changes in their bodies and how they should embrace how they are and what is happening to them. Yeah. So then uh, uh, they start to change and stay indoors instead of being in the streets. Mm -hmm. And peer pressure becomes an order of the day because that's also when they become attractive to boys. Mm -hmm. And because at home, no one taught them about the changes in their body. No one taught them about sex in subject, in terms of sexual subjects and how they should understand um, the changes and what will they lead up to. So they explore the world on their own. Mm. In a, and the first thing they will do, they will um, indulge into sexual activities, simply because of peer pressure. Yes. And when they indulge into sexual um, activities, automatically they become pregnant.
peer pressure from other young girls or peer pressure from other young boys or both? Yeah, it, it comes in both ways. Uh, it comes from other girls because now the topics they talk about at school and streets when they're socializing, they change. They start to talk about um, they start to talk about um, sexual intercourse mm -hmm. and subjects around sex on their own. As young as they are, they don't understand anything about sex, but they're talking from excitement. And now, if one of the young girls, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, um, let's say they're still, let's say they're still virgins, it becomes difficult for them to survive within that social cycle, that they are forced to break their virginity as well, so that they can fit in the, um, in the social talk that they would have in streets and at school. So that on its own leads to teenage pregnancy. And also, the, the boys, they tend to force the young girls into sex. And if they resist, then that girl, we, that boy will leave the girl and go to another one. So girls start to talk about um, a competitor as a girl. Okay. Yes. Yes. To your boyfriend. Mm. So we have a special name we call that, um, which we use a K alphabet. Okay. K. Yes, we call that. So now that on its own uh, creates an enormous pressure amongst these young girls because if they don't let go and have sex with these boys, they will lose out to a competitor and end up losing the boy. And it will delay the process of them fitting up, fitting up in the group. Wow. So they feel forced to do so. So they feel that they need to do this to belong. Yes, it's more a sense of belonging. Since at home, nobody talks about it. And at school, when these young girls talk about it, they talk about it from a point of excitement. Hmm. If the boys are forcing them, is there like, I mean, this is clearly like not okay. And is it that, is that, they don't know who, is it, is there anywhere for them to go to talk about this? Um, um, no, they don't really talk about it um, because they don't even understand, they, I, they don't really understand what sex is. They have no idea at all. They only do it not from their pleasures, just to fit within their social peers. So that they can be relevant to their friends. Do the young kids have cell phones or no? They do have cell phones and they have smartphones. And the smartphones they have, they have the budget smartphones, um, which are quite easily accessible. And what I've just realized now with the group of kids that I have on my on the project that I run now, um, most of them have got uh, they have Facebook accounts, mm -hmm. and there they lie because I'm dealing with ten to twelve year olds, but most of them they lie there. Uh, fake bios, and they just lie about everything, just to have a Facebook account. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's all going down. 
it's a hypothetical question, but I'm just wondering if, you know, the internet can be a very bad place to learn about sex, but it can also be a really good place to learn about sex because there are there are there websites from South Africa created by the South, you know, in South Africa for young kids to learn about sex? Because the subject on its own is even not taught at school. Not so at it all. Would be, yes, it would always be impossible to have it um, online hmm. in a legal way, where the Department of Education or and government in the broader sphere would allow it. I had a question about the sanitary napkins that you mentioned. You mentioned that young girls don't want to leave the house. Is that because they're they're worried that they're going to get their period and be embarrassed and not? And is that why? Yes, yeah. When they once they start to um, when they when they hit their periods and they stay home if they don't have sanitary towels, but it comes with age and the development of um, the, I mean the changes in their bodies that they start to feel like they are older to stay in the streets. That when they go up, out, they go out um, looking extremely good, dressed up proper, and they even change the way they walk. They start walking like ladies, more like um, I'm available and I'm attractive, talk to me. Okay, so they can fit in because this is what their girlfriends are doing as well. And this is what they feel they need to do to fit in. Yes, and and partly is they start to watch, um, they start to gather their own information because at that stage you're consuming so much because you're entering adulthood. Then they start to, as being the teenagers, they start to become so curious. They look online on music videos. They look for new trends because they are changing their childish acts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that is why yes. That's when everything starts to go a different direction because there's no one around them to mentor. They have each other as these young teenagers to mislead themselves. Right. And as you said, you know, obviously when they're reaching when they're in puberty, there's so many changes going on. They're feeling like attracted to people or to other boys or to other girls. And I imagine, of course, that masturbation would be completely taboo. So they probably feel, I mean, I would imagine that they feel shame about if they were going to masturbate or if anything like that. Mm. Yes, they would. Um, mostly it's, masturbation is common amongst boys in townships, mm -hmm. so especially at that age uh, when it comes to teenagers. <clears throat> um, the teenagers, they don't really, the teenage girls don't really do that. They want the real thing. Are, are young women and young men using the internet to watch porn or learn about sex in other ways? Um, yeah, 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 young people in townships, when they go online, when it comes to porn and sex, it's just a curiosity. They're not really there to learn. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what they do mostly, what they do mostly online, they tend to download. And even when they go, they don't, they wouldn't go to a site, but instead they will share a video. Whoever has lived somewhere, 
and then we'll start to share among themselves and watch. But they wouldn't go online specifically to download um, videos or learn more about sex. It's only sharing whatever video that was available that was leaked online by any other person. They just do music streaming yeah. and go to social networks. I wanted to ask a question about, um, so here in Canada, we, we really have a major issue, which is sexual assault or what's sometimes called rape. And yes. it's, um, it affects at least one in four women. And we have issues with sexual harassment as well. And sexual assault, it, the most, most often is committed by um, someone that the person knows. Usually it's a woman who is a victim. And it can be um, sometimes family members, um, uh, boyfriends, partners. And so I'm wondering, like, is this a problem like in Langa and how is it dealt with? Uh, yes, it is a huge uh, problem in Langa. And we haven't really found proper ways uh, in dealing with that. It starts first um, from parents. In, uh, again, well, this is what when people live in poverty means. When they say poverty is a state of mind where there is no information and knowledge, something that is environmental. So here in townships, we do not understand this word called consent. So with that, there's so much um, abuse uh, where women have no idea of how to address it, and men don't even know they're sexually abusing women. That could be partners, could be married people, and so on. And it goes down to, since at home, we'll have three generations in one roof, from grandfather to parents to children and, and niece and nieces and so on, and nieces and grandchildren. Then that alone creates, um, it creates so much uh, sexual violence between elders and children, where um, the, the elder, especially the elder, the uncles and aunts, would rape the children. And when the children talk about it, they will be spent and it becomes a family secret. They never go to the authorities and address it. So the child would be uh, punished for being raped. Wow. And they would grow up with that pain. Uh, of not able to talk about it wow. because at home it was hidden when it happened and it spread down to partners and boyfriends and girlfriends to a point lots of boys and men that will include somebody like me as well well when we started dating we thought uh, we did not understand consent and a woman saying yes. If you date a person, we understood that it's okay for you to sleep with that person at any given time as a boyfriend you feel like. To a point that a lot of us would have raped without knowing mm. while we're still young. So 
Uh, we have those serious challenges that even in my case, if we could turn back the hands of time, I could have made sure that um, I was never part of that generation that would be not forcing in terms of violently forcing a, a girl or a woman, but doing something she's not ready to do, uh, but because you want and she has to do it. Yeah. So those are some of the challenges. We just had consent added to sexual health education in this province that I live in called Ontario a few years ago. And recently, um, the premier has decided to roll it back. So to take it, take it out and to go back to the old curriculum from 1998. So the reason that it was added to the curriculum is that basically these two 14-year-olds wanted it to be added and think it's important. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it certainly sounds like a, like a complex, complex situation there. You have family dynamics, you have social dynamics, you have socioeconomic situations. What about the, the not-for-profit that you're running and does it, is it specifically for young girls or young boys as well? Yes, it's, um, it's targeting both girls and boys. Uh, but what we tend to do, we 80% of it is girls because girls are more vulnerable than boys. Because boys, they can make mistakes in life and they're able to recover. And for girls, it's difficult to recover because once they are pregnant, they have to drop out of school. Since at home, they are either raised by a single parent or um, even if it's both parents, they have to go to work because they are low income earners. So then the young girl has no choice but to drop out of school. So that's how things are decided. What do you think it would take for the Department of Education to to see, or maybe another non-for-profit, who do you think should be doing more and what should they be doing? I think government should play a role into addressing this challenge. For example, uh, the Department of Education and the Department of Health, if they could work hand in hand and align themselves into all those uh, socioeconomic challenges and problems that you face with in townships and come up with educational ways because all of this is happening because we do not have basic knowledge. So we need them to, to come and, and address and talk to people and educate the masses in communities. Yeah. And I wonder if, because if, you said that it, it's a challenge for parents too, so I wonder if it could also be like talking to parents and making sure that when the kids come home from school and they're talking about sex, the parents don't punish them. Um, that would be very difficult because now that, that will include the cultural barrier because we are so spiritually connected into <laughs> the ancestry system to our ancestors, that though we still go to church, we perform rituals where we slaughter animals, 
Hebrew traditional beer, and we talk to ancestors um, to spiritually connect to them uh, so that they can help us spiritually besides religion. Mm. So, so uh, again, since we are still practicing that culture, it makes it so difficult for us now to talk about these subjects openly. So we need we need um, education, um, the proper education where it's going to be free and available for adults. Because uh, we must mind that in South Africa we come from a history of apartheid, which deprived our parents opportunities to go to school, to proper school, and learn proper education. So with lack of such basic education, we are unable to address these challenges. This is so simple. You just talk to kids when they come back to school, you see them, you talk to them about sex. But how does somebody, and how does an elder who was never mentally prepared by their parents or by the education system, who has failed by the education system, to be able to address the situation right now. Mm-hmm. So government has to first um, teach the elders to know how to even say the name, the word sex, mm-hmm. which is they wouldn't say it. If a woman, a man who's way older than me would have to say it to me, sex, when they finish saying that word, they would have looked in every angle, but not direct to me. Oh, they, they, you mean they wouldn't be able to look you in the eye? They would never. Okay, so they feel ashamed or, or some kind of shame around it. It is a shame. They are not really ashamed, but it is a shame. Yeah. Hmm. You know, I remember something from your tour that you told me, poverty makes the abnormal normal. Yes. Mm. So, yes, um, so poverty really makes um, the abnormal normal uh, in a sense that you get used to everything that a human being is not supposed to be used uh, on. Um, the, the sex, for instance, on the, on the, sexual and the sex subject, uh, you get used to teenage, to kids becoming pregnant, kids indulging to sexual uh, intercourse underage, you get used to abortion, which is quite common, and these kids are doing it at home. You get used to domestic violence, and um, so poverty, uh, um, men's you to understand and be comfortable in the most uncomfortable space that a human being can be in. With, I remember that when we did our tour, there was an advertisement for an abortion, but you said that, so abortion is legal, but it's, it's too expensive. Is that what it is? It's in two ways. Abortion is legal and it's free. Okay. If you go to a public hospital, the challenge is that when it comes to, uh, to abortion, it is stigmatized. So if, if um, a woman uh, terminates her pregnancy, um, 
is um, she is viewed as somebody who has killed an unborn child. It's a shame. She will, she is shamed. So to a point that if you have to do it, you have to do it privately so that nobody knows that you have um, terminated your pregnancy. That's why it becomes expensive because you now get opportunists who run um, women's clinic, which are illegal, but somehow they do have a formula to, um, to create abortion pills. And then they sell them very expensive. I see. So that is a challenge. Oh, so they're using it because people want discretion. And yes. So they're marketing these things to them for discretion, but it's expensive for them to get it. Yes, it's expensive for them to get it, and it's home based. When they and it's it's home based when they eventually get enough funds to buy those pills, mm. then they have to go at their at their home and take the pill, which is within twenty four hours. They will be would have terminated the pregnancy. But again, um, the biggest challenge with that is that um, it becomes a traumatic experience for a girl to go through that because um, those who are responsible of selling these abortion pills, who are running these illegally uh, clinics, they do not have consultative processes. So they do not um, talk to these girls. They don't cancel them so that they can be mentally ready for what they are going to see yeah. uh, during the termination. So then that these girls, these young girls, they become um, aggressive and they start to abuse alcohol and they develop so many things because uh, of the trauma they would have suffered during that uh, process mm. of terminating the pregnancy. <clears throat> Lele, I I feel like we could probably talk for another two hours, but unfortunately we have to we have to come to an end on this one. But I do I want to tell people um, that they can reach you uh, first of all your website, which is Lele Mbinda, which is L E L E M B I N D A dot C O dot Z A. And we'll provide the link in the show notes. And also, is there they can learn more about your organization from your website? Is that right? Yes, that is right. The Ituba Innovation Hub. Um, they can learn more about it. Also, what you do there because when uh, now it's the right time to talk about the organization. Yes, yes. yes. Oh yes. So Ituba Innovation Hub. It is um, an organization that is funded uh, by my brother and um, the partner in the University of Chapman University. What I remember is that you're getting young kids, as you said, mostly young girls, involved in STEM programming and getting them introduced into robotics. Oh, yes. So that's what we do. We're using the 21st century skills, which most of it, it's not available in, uh, in public schools, in townships. So what we do is, we creating. We want to create a group of young adults, whom by 2030 will be able to solve technological problems that do not exist yet 
because by 2030, most of the jobs we have would have perished because of technology and science taking over. So with what you do in the township, it's a pioneer project where we specialize in STEM, and that we break it in a week where on Mondays it becomes, it's, it's a free day where uh, I get to do all the admin work, the data collection, for so that everyone can be aligned with the progress as we build a new curriculum. But on Tuesdays, we specialize in communications because most of these children, because of their background, which we have really covered um, on what you are talking about, they are self-contained. They have a very low self-esteem to express, they are unable to express themselves adequately. So we teach them a means and ways to boost their self-confidence mm. through reading, uh, reading to understand, uh, writing and presenting to talk in front of people. Then, um, so which is basically English. And on Wednesdays, we, we are strict on science and technology where we partnered with um, ORTSA, where, which is a Cape Town science center. Then they teach the children robotics, how to build robots, they do coding, they use different uh, computer programs, including Mindstorm. We also use Lego on Wednesdays, um, and we, when they build the robots, they code them as well. Lily, I think yes. this, this sounds fantastic. And what I'm going to do is, after the show, I'm going to post a link to every, every link you want me to share with people, just send my way, and I will share them with our listeners. And um, I want to yes. thank you so much for your time today and for your insights. Um, it was such a pleasure to meet you, and I'm so glad that you've been on the show. Wow, thank you so much. Um, I'm looking forward in hearing from you again soon.